Well, good morning. How are you guys today? Yeah? Been a good week? Kind of rough around the edges, you know, stuff. <laughs> well, thank you for, for coming here today and <clears throat> gathering before the Lord. That's, you know, it's an, uh, an amazing thing we get to do. You know, that no matter what is going on in the world, we can come together. We can come together and set aside time to praise the Lord and to grow deeper in our knowledge and walk with Him. And that is what the church is, actually. It is a body of believers to be about. It's what a body of believers is to be about. In whatever season of life we find ourselves in, together we do this. Uh, Paul says this in Colossians. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And, whenever, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now that's uh, Colossians 3, 12 through 17, if you'd like to read it later. As the church, as a community set apart for Christ and by Christ's blood, we do this because of his mercy upon us. We, we put on compassionate hearts. We have empathy for those around us. We show kindness to those in need and we put on humility. You know, we need to know our place. You know, being humble is, is often th thought upon as too much, too much of thinking upon yourself. But it is better defined as not thinking too highly or too lowly of ourselves, but knowing our place using our gifts and our means to serve Christ and bless others. As a one Bible school professor put it like this, thinking I'm too good for this or thinking I'm not good enough for this is in fact both based in pride. And when he said that, it, it blew my mind. I was like, what? what? <laughs> so we, we don't think too less of ourselves or too highly of ourselves, but we know. We know what God has equipped us with and we use it for his glory. Uh, then we put on meekness. We are to have controlled power because we are submitted to our Lord. We are to be patient. We are to be about waiting well, right? You know, give me patience now. <laughs> you know, and we are to bear, bear with one another and forgive one another. Bear, yeah, bear one another. Um, lastly, we are to put on love which binds everything together. You know, these, these actions are something we, we can do and we get to do as 
a part of our walk with Christ. In all of this, we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. We do this together because only together are we a body. And then we can be thankful and have the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Let us teach and admonish one another. Well, what, is, what does that mean? You know, what, does someone come up, hey, I'd like to admonish you today. Well, no one talks like that, right? <laughs> you know, admonish means let me warn you, counsel you, exhort you, encourage you. Uh, and my favorite, let me entreat you to this and, and uh, letter entreating people. And then we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We do this with thankful hearts towards God as we come together. As we are together and as we are apart, we, we can give thanks to God in all things. And in whatever we do, in word and deed, we can give thanks to him. Now, this is a grand picture of what the church can and should be. We worship, we praise we entreat or encourage or warn one another. I've been down that road. Don't go down it, right? <laughs> yeah. Or this is what scripture shows us to not go down, to not do. So what is, what is the starting point? Where is our center? You know, when it comes to Christianity, we can sum it up with one word, gospel. Or with two words, good news. You know, we... Start with the gospel of Christ, with the good news of Christ coming and dying and rising from the dead. That is the, the bedrock of our faith. It is clearly seen in the scripture we get to, in the conversation we've been in for about three weeks now, or four, I guess, yeah, four, we took a break, <laughs> but four weeks in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, his only begotten son, his unique son, that whoever believes in him would be saved. And even in that, we see that the world would be exposed and shown, shown for what it is, shown for whom it trusts in. That is what we see here today in the scripture before us. Uh, let's uh, start with a word of prayer. Uh, Father God, we, we thank you for today. We thank you for this time to sing this time to, to pray to you, to be together as the body of Christ. And Father, I would just pray that as we go into your word, that it would encourage us, that it would warn us, entreat us, admonish us in life together and apart from each other as we go in our daily routines, our daily tasks, our work, and whatever we have going that we would be about giving thanks to you, God, for everything that you have done in the man and the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for today. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, please turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 3. So we'll be in verse 16. John records this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now here comes the most quoted 
probably the most well-known Bible verse, right? And we see it in the ball games on the cardboard sign, John 3.16. You know, you got people got Bibles up there. Oh, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we, we see that. There's a verse that shows us the deep love of God for all of humanity. It is the sum of what Christianity declares to the world. This is why God gave his son. This is why his son was lifted up for the whole world to see. Look here, believe in him, which we saw last week. The father sent his son because he loves the world. He loves the inhabitants, the multitude, all of humanity. So he gave his only son or only begotten, which means unique son, one of a kind, because there is no one else like him. And God gave him he gave him so that the whom, the whoever, whosoever had this. The, the whoever is, oh, excuse me, is the all, the any, or the whole. They had this opportunity. They could come to believe. They could come to commit themselves, to put their trust in him, uh, and to entrust themselves to him, to the Son. This all happened so this would not happen, so that they would not perish, so that they would not be destroyed or die or lose. Because utter ruin is what will happen to those apart from the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Hell is the only other option. There is no choices of which heaven would you like to go to on a questionnaire. No, there is only one God and he has one dwelling place. And one mediator, the man, Christ Jesus, that justifies and cleanses so that we can enter that place and dwell with him forevermore. This is the choice before humanity to believe or disbelieve in the Son. To disbelieve is to face judgment and ultimate separation from God, his grace, any light, or any good. One pastor has put it like this, Earth for the believer is the closest we will ever get to hell. And for the unbeliever, earth is as the closest they will ever get to heaven. The rain falls on all here. The good creation is still ordered. And grace is here. But only for those that entrust themselves to the Son will have eternal life. Judgment Day is something that all of humanity needs to know about and reckon with. Because it is when we will give an account before God about our lives. And all will be exposed before him. Nothing will be hidden. Uh, please turn in your Bibles with me to Daniel. Chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. Here we see Judgment Day. We hear what will happen. We read this in verses 1 through 3. At the time shall rise, at that time shall rise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be time of trouble such as never such as 
never has been seen since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be written, it shall be found in the book. Written, <laughs> excuse me. You want to read this one for me too, Marge? <laughs> All right. And there shall be a time of trouble. Such has never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who fell asleep in the dust of the earth shall wake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. A judgment comes. We don't know the time. A lot of ministries and stuff, they need to stop their guesswork on that, but we need to live in light that it will happen that the dead will wake and everyone found in the book will have everlasting life they will shine because they are righteous because they've trusted in the righteous one others will wake and find shame and everlasting contempt our choices today matter as maximus says in the movie gladiator brothers what we do in life echoes in eternity and right here we have hope. Hope because someone came to deal with the problem, the issue that is bigger than anyone can face, which is sin. Jesus came to put it away. Please turn in your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 9. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9 verses uh, 24 through 28. The author says this, For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of true things, of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundations of the world. But it is... But it, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, <coughs> will appear for a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Jesus appeared before God on the behalf of sinners. And he appeared once and for all. The action was once and for all. He put away sin, past, present, and future. I love that. You know, he just kind of put it away, right? By the sacrifice of his own blood, he did this. And all of this was appointed. It took place so we can see it, we can test it, and we can rest in it. For we are also appointed to die one day and then face judgment. So we trust in Christ because he alone bore the sins of many. So we wait for he will come a second time, not to deal with sin. No, he's done that once and for all.
but to save, to rescue those that are awaiting him. Well, let's uh, turn back to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. <laughs> and we'll read verses uh, 17 through 19. John records this. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light, because their works are evil. And this is the reason that God sent his Son, so the choice would be clearly seen. God did not send his Son to condemn the whole world, but that they, the whole, might be saved through him. The truth is this. Jesus came to bring redemption from an enemy of all of humanity, sin and death. All other things are effects of that cause. It is as it is the root of all of our problems. James says it like this, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Desire then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. There is sin. Sin in us, it is a part of us. And we alone cannot root it out. We can't root out our own nature, but thanks be to God, Christ Jesus came to rescue what had been lost. Uh, please turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. And 10, uh, verse 45. Mark records this. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus did this. He came not to be served. No, the Son of God came from his throne to serve, to deal with the problem that faces us all. In this, he gave his, his life, his very life, as a ransom. He paid the debt, and he spoke the three words that changed the course of history. It is finished. For the many, for the whoever, for those that trust in or believe in him, in the Son will not be condemned. They will not face judgment, for there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But for whoever does not believe in, that does not trust in him, is condemned. There's judgment here because this is where the line is. This is the difference that separates the world. Please turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 uh, verses 13 through 18. Matthew records this event. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? 
And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In this scene, Jesus and his followers are in Caesarea Philippi, and he asks them, what are people saying about me? What's, what's the grapevine saying? What's society? What's polling right now, right? What's the poll? They told him what they had heard. Some had guessed John the Baptist, others Elijah, Jeremiah, or maybe another prophet. But now he asked them, well, what about you? What do you, who do you say that I am? And Peter spoke up. Peter speaks up a lot in the Gospels, right? And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter says, or Jesus says, Peter is blessed. Blessed because God, God the Father showed him this. And right here upon this confession, the church will be built. That Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah. And nothing can overcome that truth. Now, do we see that what we believe in him greatly matters? A matter of factly, it changes the course of our whole lives upon what we do with Jesus, the Son of Man. C.S. Lewis says this in his book, Mere Christianity. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I do not accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he is a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And what we do with Jesus matters. For the judgment is seen here as well. That the light, the true light, has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their own works were evil. This is where our nature is clearly seen. We have darkness, we have evil within us, so we cling to it. It defines us. So we run from the light and we rebel from it. This is why we need something, or better yet, someone, a rescuer who is able to overcome it, the evil within us. And Jesus Messiah is that person. He has come to rescue us. He has come in love to expose the world to who God is and what he will do for us and to expose us for what we truly are. Now let's turn back to the Gospel of John, chapter 3.
and we'll read uh, verses 20 and 21 to, to close the conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. No, it's, it's been a couple weeks and this has been fun. <laughs> it's been a good, a good conversation. Uh, that's, uh, that's why Hannah says I love the Gospel of John because it's a bunch of people talking. I'm like, that's true. It's a really good one. <laughs> so, but uh, John records this. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now the question why don't people come to the light? It's a question that theologians have wrestled with for about two, yeah, 2,000 years, you know? But it's a great question. It's a, a great question. Why don't we come to the true light? Well, the true light exposes dirt, the soot, the shame. It shows us the problem inside of ourselves. David, King David, says this about sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Our wrongs, our, our deeds, our words are ever before God because he is all-seeing and all-knowing. He knows everything. And Olson, little too large, is against him. Sin is a crime against a holy God. It is an evil in his sight. So he is justified in his judgment because he is holy. And by nature, we are sinners. Now, our, our problem is as a culture, we don't, we don't think about sin like that. We think about it like uh, other, well, we don't think about it as a personal crime against God, as an affront to the Almighty. No, we don't think like that because we, we in fact, stack the deck. You know, we, we're, we say things like this. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> we say, well, I'm, I'm not like that. Or I'm better than Stalin or Mao or Saddam Hussein or Hitler or Manson. I've, I've never murdered someone and... In fact, I'm from Colorado, and I use my blinker in traffic, so I'm a saint. Yeah? So we, we justify it. We're, oh, no, we're good. We're good. We, we've done this as a culture. We group people. These people over here are, are evil, and, and these people over here are good. Jesus says this. No one is good except God alone. And we, don't, we don't group like that, right? But God does. God groups like that, and God's definitions matter. As a culture, we are always convincing ourselves that we are not capable of gross evil. But as one Christian apologist put it, we are all Auschwitz-enabled. All of us are capable of gross evil. And if you don't get that reference, Auschwitz was a concentration camp in Nazi Germany that executed millions of people and Hitler's final solution. Yeah, so everyone who does wicked hates the light and rebels against it, does not come to it because we don't want our work. We don't want our wicked deeds exposed. This is the world apart 
from God. Wicked and evil, and we have all the wrong motives. And turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verses 9 through 11, Paul says this to the church in Corinth. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual, immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkard, nor the revilers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And we call, we call the message of Jesus good news because before us, apart from God, all we read is bad news. In this issue or that issue, in this report or that event, because our foreparents, Adam and Eve, disobeyed God. They chose sin, and sin spread to all because all sinned. So no one will inherit the kingdom of God. No one can dwell with a holy God, but thanks be to God. Jesus, the Messiah, can wash and cleanse us. You know, here... We can be sanctified. We can be justified in the Lord Jesus. I think in dwelling with the Lord, or in dealing with the world, with those apart from God, we need to have empathy and compassion. Because as Paul says, we were all. Such were some of you. We were all in that boat. So we lovingly point to, we lovingly point all to the one who redeems the man Christ Jesus. You know, always remembering without Christ, I would still be a prisoner of war. You know, I think that's, you know, in even talking in Sunday school, we're seeing that humongous battle worldviews play out in our culture today. Because people think this is life. This is the way to go. This is true life over here. This is true life over there. Well, maybe over here. Oh, we'll try out this door. We need to lead people to the true life, the true one. And Jesus goes on saying in John 3, whoever does what is true comes to the light. Well, that raises the question, what's true? It is believing in the true one, in the one who has come to rescue us. It is resting and trusting in the Messiah. Jesus alone is the one who saves I think here we need to be careful not to put the cart before the horse, so to say, because we can't. And we can't face the evil in ourselves. We can't clean ourselves up. No, we come to Jesus first and foremost. We trust in him. It is clearly seen then that this work is carried out by God alone and in God alone. Uh, please turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians Ephesians chapter 2. But Ephesians 2, 
read this in verses 4 through 10. Paul says this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of, his great, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ, with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. By God's rich mercy, by God's great love, he did this. He took us dead in trespasses and sin and raised us up by Christ Jesus. And by grace we have been redeemed, seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's done did, guaranteed, right? Just like when we talk about the Spirit, the Spirit is that guarantee. This is also a verse of that guarantee. You're, that's a present tense verse, right? You're, you're, man, I'm speaking English. <laughs> that's present tense. Uh, yeah, I know English. I know history. <laughs> but it's, it's happened. You know, it's, it's there. You know, we are through the ages there to show the immeasurable riches of grace, of God's grace towards humanity. For by grace we are redeemed as we place our faith, our choice, our trust in him. This work is the work of the Lord, the Lord Almighty. It is his rescue mission, and he has made us his workmanship in Christ for good works so we can walk in them. Now, this is what we have seen today. The God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten, our only unique son to redeem it and to expose it. This means we can know that God has a great love for all of humanity because his son is here for all of humanity. We also see that the light has an exposing effect upon humanity. It shows us all that we are sinners in need of grace. So how do we apply this to today? How do we fill our lives with this theology? Now, the last part really stuck out to me. We are God's workmanship. Now please turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5. Now, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, Jesus says this, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its taste, how shall it be how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others 
so that they may see your good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Jesus is the true light. John has made that abundantly clear in the first chapter of his gospel. And here Jesus says this, we, the followers of Christ, are the salt of the earth. We are here more than to just work a job, more than to just have a place to rest our head. No, we are here to give taste to life. We are here as lights of the world, a light of the world. Our light needs to shine before others. That is the work carried out by God in our lives, in our hearts and in our minds, that people would see that the, that work and give glory to God, our Father in heaven. So how do? How do they see that? How does the world know we are different? By our confession, for one, Jesus is the Messiah. We are about making him known, making disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, discipling. But another is this. Together as a church, we show the world that there is something better, something more. Jesus says it like this. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, our sum, our goal is very different than the world's. We come together not for a team or a group of musicians or polished preachers, yeah. <laughs> but we come together to love him, to love the Lord, to worship the one above, to proclaim him, and to sing to him, to love him because he sent his only unique son to die for us so that as members of one body we come together to love him to love each other to serve each other with gifts given we become the local visible church a light to the world well, let's close in a word of prayer and father god we thank you thank you for this grand conversation between jesus and nicodemus uh, feels like we could spend a couple more weeks in it, Lord. But thank you for the time in it. Thank you for the gospel of John. Thank you for the good news. Thank you for the fact that your son came as a ransom for many, came to die, that sinners may have eternal life, justified in you, righteous, shining as the stars. Lord, I just pray that you would help us walk in light of your grace, in light of judgment day, in light of the fact that all men, all of humanity will die and face you. Help us proclaim that to the world that is so desperate for life, life anywhere else. But those are all broken cisterns with no water. Help us go to the true source in our day to day. Help us point to the true source of life and the good shepherd and Jesus, the Messiah. And I just pray this in his name. Amen.